course, you don't realize that Mr. Pendergast is the type man who has twice been to the White House to dinner. Worst food in Washington. Well, the president? Yes. I bet the president's wife calls him by his first name sometimes. You look messy. Huh? Don't you ever brush your hair? I suppose Mr. Pendergast combs his hair every hour on the hour. Mr. Pendergast has no hair. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Raslin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we are still watching the 1943 nominees with a romantic comedy about an affordable housing crisis in Washington, D.C. called The More the Merrier. Yeah, I mean, this movie is just about shortages all around. There's not enough houses. There's not enough single men in Washington, D.C. There's not enough plot so that we have to deal with Charles Coburn doing a bunch of dumb bullshit. And there's not enough Gene Arthur, so I hate this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I think there is enough screen time for Gene Arthur, but there's not enough Gene Arthur to this performance. Yeah, I think that checks out. She is around a lot, but she's only really allowed to do anything for 20 minutes of this movie. Most of the time, she just gets ordered around by various men and looks like she's on the verge of tears, which sucks. Until she starts actually crying, which sucks even more. Yeah, it's interesting because when the movie started and we were in D.C. and it was Gene Arthur, I got really excited because I was thinking about Saunders from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, who is such a funny, confident, sexy, interesting, full character who also is played by Gene Arthur in a movie that is set in Washington, D.C., And there was very little of what made Saunders exciting in this performance. And I don't think that that's necessarily Gene Arthur's fault. The script does not give her much except to be ping-ponged around like she's something that a bunch of dudes are taking advantage of in various ways. I really don't blame her in any way for sure. But among the weirdest things is for about the first 10 minutes, it seems like you're going to get that movie. When she first meets Mr. Dingle, which, by the way, what? What is Mr. Dingle's thing? Is he just running around acting as a matchmaker for random people in D.C.? I really do not understand what his intentions are from the beginning of this film. For the first 25 minutes, you think he must be some kind of scammer because he worms his way into this free room. We start with him. He's supposed to get a room at this hotel, but arrived four days early. Two days, yeah. So, Or two days, whatever. No one cares. Two days early. And so has to go find a room. And he sees an ad for one room for rent, which is apparently the only room for rent in all of Washington, D.C., because there's a huge housing shortage because of all the women working, I guess. This is probably a real historical thing, but the movie certainly feels no need to explain it. 
He shows up and there's a whole bunch of other people looking for the room and he scams all of them into leaving and then scams Jean Arthur into accepting him over her strenuous objections over and over again, even though it's her apartment, which leaves a real bad taste in your mouth. And specifically that she does not want to live with a man, Mm -hmm. that she wants a woman as her roommate. So add that extra layer of creepiness. Then... He just, apropos of nothing, sublets half of the room he's renting to Joel McRae, our other male lead. Joel McRae, by the way, playing a dime store version of a role that is definitely for a five years younger Gary Cooper. Also, the starting scene between the two of them is so weird because they're both so circumspect about the details of their lives. That you're like, oh, I guess this is two con men. But then it turns out they both have jobs and are just like normal dudes, but just decided to talk about renting a room like they were fucking doing a drug deal in a 1940s gangster film. Like, it's so bizarre. Well, and what's really irritating about it is that not only has Mr. Dingle taken Joe Carter into this home that he has absolutely zero right to be subletting and has not let his roommate know once it's discovered they decide in the mornings that they're going to be just incredibly obnoxious toward gene arthur's character constance who is very type a she has a very set schedule in a way that she organizes her life which is annoying but totally her right to do and again it's her home And they go out of their way to make it as uncomfortable and difficult for her as possible. And they think that's hilarious. And the movie thinks it's hilarious. Yeah. So all of act one, like almost 40 minutes, is spent just setting all of this up. Just getting us to the point where these three people live in an apartment together and they all know that. And then you're like, oh, okay, I guess I know what the rest of the film is. Because the rest of the film is her slowly falling in love with the one that is age appropriate for her, while the other guy acts as this weird spoiler. And kind of, but not really at all. Because instead you get 20 minutes of them just being absolute pieces of shit to her. But she's inexplicably instantly in love with Joel McRae. (laughs) And even though she's engaged to a guy whose one sin seems to be having a stupid name. And a bad toupee. He has two. Yeah, that's fair. Well, and he's boring. I mean, this is really, I think, the first example that we've seen of what will become a total trope set up in romantic comedies of uptight woman engaged to boring man falls for relative bad boy and lives happily ever after. But also, they do not even stick the landing on the eventual marriage. It is so fucking weird. (laughs) This movie simultaneously has no plot whatsoever. The core plot of this is romantic comedy love triangle, right? Like, she's exactly what you just said. She's type A, she's engaged to a boring dude, a slightly more interesting, I guess, but Joe Carter is boring as shit, dude comes along and she has to take a chance on real romance. 
in practice, that's like 15 minutes of this film. And so it just fills time with all this random crap. Like Benjamin Dingle's entire fucking life is so random and unnecessary. Like his dumb, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead catchphrase. And whatever his job is supposed to be. And why he's doing this circuitous plan to get his two roommates to hook up takes up a tremendous amount of time in this film, as does a weird subplot where a child you never see before or after comes in and just decides Joe Carter is a Japanese spy because he's looking through binoculars. Well, because he says he's one. Right, but he says... He decides he's a spy because he's looking through binoculars. Then... In a completely bizarre turn of events, apparently on this, like, 12-year-old say-so, the FBI takes him into custody and will just not accept that there is not a Japanese person living in this apartment. I am no great fan of the FBI, but I don't think believing a 12-year-old over a member of the military is a real issue the FBI has a lot. Honestly, I have no idea. (laughs) But I would say yes, probably. That's honestly just to get us into a situation where Gina Arthur's fiancé, Charles J. Pendergast, where this movie apparently doesn't feel the need to be a comedy because it thinks the name Charles J. Pendergast is funny enough, finally figures out she's living with two men and is kind of a dick about it, but less of a dick than Joe Carter has been to her like 30 times in this movie. Yeah. Then there's a reporter in the taxi, and so they have to get shotgun married in South Carolina, and she openly weeps about it through the remainder of the film, but then... Mr. Dingle has torn out one of the walls in her apartment so that she and Joe Carter share a room. And so even though they were going to get their marriage annulled, you now, through the translation matrix for the Hayes Code, that's about as clear a they're going to fuck as you can get. And then you're like, so the movie's ending happily. Yep. And that's it. That is it. That's the whole movie. So there are some funny visual gags at the beginning even though those visual gags are mostly about dingle being completely inept and screwing up constance milligan's apartment uh which is embarrassing (laughs) the other best thing about this film arguably the best thing about this film is that gene arthur does get to wear a lot of really pretty costumes yeah i mean that is true there's like flashes of a much more interesting film about what life is like in Washington, D.C. during World War II because all the women are working and the only men in town are career bureaucrats who leave again in a week. But for various reasons, the movie doesn't really ever go into that for an extended period of time. It just sort of goes like, so that's the deal. Goodbye. There's like one scene at Gene Arthur's work and that's it. And then people are constantly talking about the housing shortage and how there are no single men around, but that's really only presented by there being like 15 interchangeable blonde women following Joe Carter around wherever he goes. Well, they weren't all blonde, but the vast majority of them. Yeah. There's also a really uncomfortable 
scene where Joe Carter and Constance Milligan are going home from this night club that they went to that happens to be in the hotel where Dingle has now moved like earlier that day and she had gone on a date with Charles J. Pendergast there and then Dingle had invited Carter to the hotel to hang out and of course they all run into each other and then Dingle is like oh well we should definitely talk about the housing shortage right now right now in my room we're gonna go and then convinces him to stay longer so that Pendergast tells Constance to just have Joe Carter take her home which he doesn't know at the time is also where he lives so they go home and they're walking down the street and then they sit on the stoop after passing all of these couples who are making out because they're gonna go off to war and he starts making moves on her and she keeps talking very awkwardly and uncomfortably every time he puts a hand somewhere she kind of takes it off and it's Vaseline on the lens framed as this very romantic thing and I'm sitting there going this is kind of assault oh and she's awkwardly talking specifically about her fiance get a fucking clue dude right you know really I'm not gonna stick up for this movie because yeah that is assault this movie's entire plot is she doesn't know what she wants Like, that's what makes the Gene Arthur shit feel like there's no Gene Arthur, is that for fully 90% of the running time of this movie, everyone just tells her what she wants and what she's going to do. And that's the single most uncomfortable scene of it, because there's the, the whole sexual dimension that makes it assault. But Dingle just forces his way into her apartment and forces his way into her life. So does Joe Carter. Honestly, so does Pendergast. And everybody, including her, just acts like, oh, well, just as well. I'm just going to go along with it because I don't actually understand what it is that I like and need someone to tell me. Right. Again, I'm really not going to defend it so much as say that it didn't really jump out at me because it was already such background ground noise in the film that everybody's just going to spend all their time telling Jean Arthur what she wants and what she's going to do that the fact that that included sex was like yeah fucking of course fucking of course it does and not taking these very obvious signals that whether or not she is attracted to Joe which she is I guess she's not ready or willing to do physical stuff with him that she's being pressured into doing It's also so weird that that's the bar we're going to let this film clear. And it doesn't clear that bar. You keep waiting for the scene where the dam bursts and she admits she loves him, is wild about him, is crazy about him. And that scene never fucking comes. Even at the end of the movie where the wall is gone, they keep doing the like, oh, I'm so befuddled, I don't know what to do thing. And then cut to out in the hall where Dingle has gathered a bunch of randos to sing Damn the Torpedoes full speed ahead. And the movie just ends. Like there's no scene where she confirms she actually fucking likes Joe Carter. Yeah, it's a really uncomfortable film because it wants to make all of this by turns comedic or romantic and it's not yeah i don't know i mean yes you were correct it isn't either of those things 
I was going to make a kind of argument that the film is vaguely interesting in this, like, propaganda agenda setting way, Mm. where the fact that this movie is a text on how you're supposed to behave during the war is interesting, but it doesn't really end up even doing that the more I think about it, because it really is just like, don't let men stay in your home during a housing shortage question mark well and there's also this whole setup that she's really really lucky that a guy is into her because all of these women would throw themselves at joe carter and she's spoiled for choice when everybody else is starved for affection which i mean no (laughs) right it's like it's this movie that is about and set in this huge shift in who is in the workplace and what the workplace means during World War II as women go to work in massive numbers. But it's still got both feet firmly planted in the morality of the time before that. It's set in that, but hasn't actually adjusted any of its assumptions around that being the new state of the world. I mean, the last scene is just them talking about, oh God, what's she going to do? How is she going to make any money? And him going, don't worry, you'll get like my army pension if I die. And it's like, she's going to get another job in like five seconds, dude. Like, she's more employable than you are. (sighs) Yeah. Like, I don't. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) It's a a creepy film that left me feeling a little gross. I would agree with that. And it's not a very funny film. None of the characters are really likable besides Gene Arthur. And even Gene Arthur, honestly, by the end, you're kind of like, stop being such a pushover. Some of the stuff is legitimately assault and terrible. And some of it's just like, kick this terrible dude out of your apartment, lady. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. Why are you letting anybody stay here? They're garbage men. Fucking get rid of them. Well, and at one point she does say that she's definitely not going to take anybody else into her home. And everybody's like, oh, well, why would... And it's like, because it turns out badly. Yeah. And then it's totally fine with it when Joe tells her, well, you can't take anyone in because you're my wife now. It's even weirder than that. She objects to that, even though before she was like, yeah, totally. I'm never letting anyone stay in this apartment again. It was such a terrible idea. When he's like, yeah, don't do that. That's a terrible idea. Look how bad it turned out. She's like, how dare you, sir? I wanted to be a patriotic American. (laughs) And she just objects to everything for the sake of objecting to it. What's so irritating is that she is that just contrarian, emotional woman that doesn't actually exist in the real world. But like, that is the only way to conceive of her in this movie that makes the plot make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. It's it sucks and it's bad. So uh but I, what are we giving this? 3 it wasn't out and out racist. Was it? I mean it was with that whole thing with the Japanese right? spy subplot. Fuck. Yeah. I'm going to go with the 2. T- yeah, 2. Yeah. Don't don't watch this movie Mm-mm. for sure. No, there are way better Gene Arthur comedies out in the world. We've watched some of them. Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Even Talk of the Town, I thought, was pretty funny. God, I am really... I'm sorry, I'm just looking at this poster again and realizing this disaster of a movie poster 
really promises a much better film than the one you get. Because it promises a film where Gene Arthur has all of the power. And that the men don't know what to do with her. And don't know what to do with this living situation they've been forced into. Which is the promise of the premise of this film. That suddenly the shoe is on the other foot, right? She's got the money. She's got the apartment. They're just reacting to her. But then just immediately they're like, fuck you. I'm reading your diary. I'm taking the bathroom for an hour and a half. If you want to kick me out, so be it. But you'd better take back that pretty hat you bought with the money that I paid you for a service you rendered and then I ruined. (laughs) Just terrible fucking guys that just, It's real bad. Don't watch it. Uh, Yeah. For next week, though... We are watching Gary Cooper and Ingrid Bergman in For Whom the Bell Tolls. Yep. Which, mm, our last Hemingway adaptation was real bad. Uh, So this makes me nervous. And it's directed by Sam Wood, who did Goodbye Mr. Chips and The Pride of the Yankees. Oofa doofa. So. Yeah. It is in color. Yeah. So there's that. And the poster is okay? Uh Uh-oh, the poster's okay. The poster's okay, and I'm reading the plot, and I don't need this in my life right now. Yeah, anyway. Oh, God, it's 170 minutes long? Fuck me, Susan. Jesus. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Tune in next week for that. Yeah. God, and then the week after that, it's an Ernst Lubitsch film, so... But it is our last Ernst Lubitsch film ever, I think. Thank God. But they're really making us pay for Casablanca, huh? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And until then... This was like a soap opera episode that they then shoved Charles Coburn being insufferable into to get like another hour of screen time out of it. Yeah. 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 Bye, everybody. Goodbye. I guess you better go to sleep, darling. Good night, dear. Good night, Mr. Darling.